I'll read from the English Standard Version. And I'm going to read, beginning with verse 1, just for the context, this section that uh, three verses that will be preached um, are really more of an explanation, and I would say uh, an exclamation point on the teaching that just precedes it, uh, the teaching that, that Jesus uh, is giving his disciples. It, it, you'll see how difficult it is to, to really hear it, to really understand it, and we need, we need to hear and understand before we obey. And so the Lord is, is adding an extra, uh, uh, an extra point of, of editing here, an exclamation point in verses 10, 11, and 12, just so that we make sure we understand the imperative of the previous section, its importance. And uh, we really need to understand this well, especially in our age. Beginning with verse 1, Matthew 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is a case of the man or his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Thus reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Grass withers, its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And this is the word that was just read to you by God's grace and will be preached. Let's pray. Lord, you are the master teacher, but... We do not always listen as those attending a master class. We pray that we might, that you would open our ears and especially our hearts to love you and love your truth, to honor you as our prophet and as our king in leading us in holiness. We thank you that you deal gently with us, that you instruct us, and that you mean uh, all benefit to us and to make us holy, partakers of your divine glory. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored in the preaching and in the hearing of the sermon. And we pray, Lord, that your way would be had. Thy will be done, Lord. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. You might ask, after reading this sermon title, what, what, what is going on here? Why this text? I, I think this is a very good illustration of our mode of operation here as we, as we proceed as a church. We want to give God all the glory in his word and make sure that we are not just pleasing ourselves 
in uh, taking to ourselves just lovely promises, things that concern us, all manner of benefits. And there are many, many things that, that are warm to us and build us up through promises and comfort. And, uh, but there are also some things that must be heard that, are, uh, that, that may seem abrasive to us. And especially in this generation where sexuality has gotten to the point of, of even defining who we are as people, uh, identity poli politics, are basically rooted, or so much, it used to be in ethnicity, but now more and more it's in gender. And sexuality after the 1960s has, has gone wild in this nation. It's, it's like we've lost all boundaries. And so bringing up the topic of the eunuch in a sermon title is certainly not addressing one of your felt needs. I know that. I know that. I'm not foolish. Okay? And nobody goes around saying, you know, when I grow up, I think what I like to do is be a eunuch. Especially in this age. But it's here because it's an option. Not that it's a, des a thing desirable in itself, but something that is desirable in a world that has fallen far from perfect and is yet in process as it's receiving the kingdom of God. As the kingdom of God rolls out, this possibility here, this likelihood, and this condition uh, is actually a choice and one that must be considered very, very carefully. It has to be very carefully considered. This is the teaching of our Lord. Especially, as I said, this is the punctuation mark on the difficulty of marriage. And when one enters into marriage, they, they enter into marriage by a vow. Everyone does. Uh, even secular movies, people still vow uh, to God. There's a Bible nearby, and, and, and people take promises. When you're saying by a vow, as he, well, you will uphold your word, you will say yes and amen, you will uphold the conditions of this marriage imposed by God. Or may God judge your soul. And as we read here, uh, the reading from the, uh, the epistle to the Thessalonians, this is exactly the danger with impurity. Having contracted marriage, the danger of falling back into impurity. We, 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 really, we really displease God to the point of he, he will visit us in his wrath. The teaching here is that celibacy, and that, I'm going to use this word as a substitute, I'll explain in a minute. Celibacy uh, is, is a gift, and it's granted by God. It's not given to everyone to remain celibate, uh, but uh, in times it is used as a means uh, to avoid uh, unchastity or difficulties in the marriage. Okay, Celibacy is an exceptional gift. It's granted by God. It's not given to everyone to remain celibate, uh, but is as a means to avoid the difficulties of marriage and especially of uh, impurities. Okay, I think we've got four points in this sermon. I just want to introduce it with a few short notes on the, the term eunuch. The, the word is almost archaic. I don't think I've ever used it in any kind of casual conversation. The Oxford Dictionary di simply defines it as one who's castrated, and I don't want to go into particulars there. Um, I prefer the term celibate, and I'll use it in a sermon. Celibacy is, is remaining unmarried. That's the technical definition of one who is celibate. Celibacy is, is remaining unmarried. And so when you have uh, some priests who, in the Roman Catholic Church, 
especially all priests in the Roman Catholic Church, before taking their vow of office, they will vow celibacy. They vow celibacy. Now, it's important to uh, recognize that the Roman Catholic priests do not vow chastity. Because chastity is condemned, uh, it's condemned uh, in, excuse me, adultery, its opposite, is condemned uh, in uh, the, the, uh, the Seventh Commandment. Uh, and as such, uh, if you vow to keep a commandment, uh, well, if you break it, then you're asking God to judge you on the basis of that one breach of the law. It's not right. But celibacy, you, you can do by God's help. You can remain unmarried. Uh, even a non-believer can remain unmarried. Uh, although the problem is, the problem is, does he, is he able to keep chaste? Is he able to keep pure as an unmarried person? So chastity, in the, in this, to distinguish it from celibacy, chastity is remaining undefiled, sexually pure. And I'll make that distinction very cleanly because, and I'll, I'll repeat this again, uh, part of the Roman Catholic uh, position is that a married person is not as chaste uh, as uh, one who is celibate. Uh, there's a tinge of, of sin in that relationship, uh, but the Protestants in the Reformation always stressed that marriage is an honorable estate and that uh, the marriage union uh, between a, a man and a woman is one flesh. And so therefore, by definition, there cannot be any defilement. The Protestants really broke with this tradition, uh, and I'll speak to it just a, a little bit later, the tradition that was uh, taken up for the priesthood in the Roman Catholic Church. So chastity in distinction is not remaining uh, unmarried, it is remaining undefiled, sexually pure. Now a eunuch, uh, a eunuch in scripture is, is really both celibate and chaste. He's celibate because he, he cannot marry. He has no, no function there uh, to procreate, and that's one of the chief functions. Not the only function, but that's one of the chief functions of marriage. And uh, it would be, a, well, it would be an unusual uh, relationship, uh, but uh, a eunuch ideally is both celibate and chaste. I want to point out that in Jesus mentioning this, even bringing up the term eunuch and the kingdom of, of, of of God as the kingdom of heaven spills out. And Jesus bringing forth this teaching, it is quite radical because to think of any leader in Israel as being a eunuch is, is out of place. The eunuch in all, the Old Testament was not allowed to enter the Levitical priesthood. He was not allowed to, uh, excuse me, he was not allowed to serve God. He may have been born a Levite. But he could not serve in the temple ordinances. He could not serve in the functions uh, uh, there of, uh, of the priesthood because he was, he was deformed. It would, it's kin to offering um, a, uh, an improper animal, a blotched lamb, uh, an injured animal, something that is not perfect. The idea of perfection is kept uh, in, the, in the offering of the, of the sacrificial lamb. It has to be pure. It has to be unblemished. And it's kept in the Levitical priest himself. So in, in, in bringing up the teaching that one of his disciples should consider uh, eunuchs, uh, this, this is a, 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 a real radical difference going forward into the New Testament. I'll have another scripture <clears throat> relating to that in the future. And um, 
And it relates, of course, to how radically wrong the rabbis uh, and the Sadducees were, uh, were in un understanding Moses' prescription for, for divorce. Uh, Jesus is correcting that teaching. He says, no, 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 no. Moses did not say, if you don't like your wife, just give her a certificate of divorce. Make sure. A good Jew will always have a certificate of divorce. Make sure you have that certificate and then you're fine. That's not, that's not the teaching. Because Jesus is getting back to the original intent of the law uh, of, of, of marriage and uh, of not committing adultery. Now, that was last week's sermon. I don't have to redress it too much, but just touching lightly. So that's some notes on the term eunuch itself. It just basically means the one that is castrated. And, um, but he is, as far as a man in the, in the Jewish mind, he is one who is deformed. And now, uh, and not acceptable to God, I should add, ceremonially. Now, the second point is that some may judge it better to remain celibate than, uh, than to risk adultery by divorce. That's what's in the mindset of Jesus' disciples. They're hearing Jesus getting back to the original intention of the law, and he said, well, if that's the case, why in the world would anybody get married? Why would anybody get married and risk breaking a, a very important commandment and, and defiling oneself or, or defiling others? Some might, might judge it better to remain celibate. And here the disciples certainly do. They're reacting to Jesus' teaching. Because Jesus is saying that marriages between a man and a woman is intended to be permanent. And that's restoring the intent uh, of, the, of, the, or, uh, of the institution from Genesis 2, verse 24. Uh, now, marriage is a, is a good and it's a godly institution. And what doesn't have to be Christian to partake of this good institution? It was given to mankind as foundational to humanity in the beginning. You read that in Genesis 2, verse 18. And he, of course, who finds a good, uh, a wife finds a good thing. He obtains favor from the Lord, Proverbs 18. So our sin nature is the problem uh, in the marriage and not the marriage itself. It's not, it's not oh, we married somebody. We're not compatible. Uh, we, we went through a dating service online, and we checked all the right boxes, and this, this came out. So if anybody's to blame here, it's that dreaded computer. Or the man can, who, 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 who programmed the computer. What a, what a nut to think that these, these attributes and two people would would make a good fit. Well, God is the one who brings male and female together. And God is the one who uh, makes one flesh out of two by his decree. Our sin nature, then, is not the problem. It's not that marriage should be looked at or questioned again. Or we, maybe, we, we, maybe we need to rethink the nuclear family. You know, That's not the issue. The issue is the hardness of heart. That's what this chapter says. The seventh commandment is stricter than uh, the Jews commonly thought. I should say, not stricter, I would say it's more broad. It's, it's, all, it's more robust. The commandments, whatever you know of the Ten Commandments and the moral law, I can guarantee you that commandment is more robust than you have really considered. And it's in its relationship to all other commandments and to the first commandment about uh, not having any idols into the into the second the, the, excuse me the tenth commandment uh, about remaining contempt. All of these things are intertwined, and the whole of the, of the moral law is much more robust in the mind of Christ and in the original intent. Which because it, because first of all it represents to us in words the righteousness of God as far as we can relate in in words 
in, in descriptive prescriptions, okay? But the Jews had, had taught something far, far different. And we, we in the 21st century, who, who are prone to be reductionist and to keep things simple and to market things so that, well, what's the bottom line? Let's get, let's, don't, don't belabor your sermons. These are too long. Why speak about eunuchs for crying out loud? Nobody even has that felt need. Well, it's all here, and it's all of Christ's commandments, and we're taught we are to teach them all that he commanded. This is what we do. This is what we do. If this is the case, then why marry? Why risk adultery? That's a damning sin, if ever there was one. And if left unrepented, uh, it's defiling and defiling many. And so the case can be made. Celibacy is less risky. Or so it seems here to the disciples. They're just, they're just bantering here with the Lord and maybe uh, trying to scope out the teaching and its parameters. And, and so some may judge it better than to remain celibate rather than to risk adultery by divorce. The third point, though, here is that remaining celibate is not an option for every disciple. To remain celibate requires God to grant it. It is a gift it is a gracious gift. Uh, what God gives us is always for our improvement, for our, for our good, but especially, especially as it relates to our good as we're placed in the kingdom of heaven. To otherwise willfully remain celibate without God's gift, you have to, you have to consider it. Are you, are you doing this for economic means, which is selfish? Are you, are you, are you doing this to re retire handsomely so you have a nice portfolio? You can have a private island uh, in the Bahamas or something. To, to remain, uh, to willfully celibate, you've got to, you've got to examine this. First of all, you have to examine what Paul tells the Corinthian church, that it's better to marry than to burn with lust. It's much better uh, to admit that, no, no, I, I, look, I'm, I'm a creature, and I'm, I'm a male or I'm a female, and I, I, have, I do have this need. I have this... I have, I have the need for sexual uh, intimacy. And if you have that, and, and, and that is a motion in your hearts and in the top, it's part of your makeup, well, it's better to marry than it is to burn with lust. But uh, explicitly, in very many places, adulterers, fornicators, all the unclean, they are they're barred from heaven. It, 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 not, not only does this particular sin uh, very much displeased God. But this particular sin uh, really, really contorts the image of, of Christ and the purity of, of, of the Lord as, as the husband and the church as his spouse. It really wrecks the covenantal arrangement of Christ and his church going forward as husband and bride. Um, and I might say that a, that a continued fighting uh, a nagging impulse of lustful thoughts is probably very good evidence that the gift has not been granted you. I'll say that a little bit carefully because I know I can probably think of any number of exceptions to this. We'll mention a few here. But uh, just consider this. As Calvin considered it, I mean, he, he, was, con he was convinced uh, that he had to marry. I mean, that was a big, that was a big issue then, the Reformation. You know, people uh, were beginning to, to leave uh, the priesthood celibacy 
and they were marrying. And uh, the first choice of, of wife, guess what it was? Nuns that were leaving the nunneries. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, but uh, he was convinced that it would be wrong for him to remain uh, merely celibate. And so uh, in reading uh, some of Calvin early on as a young man, I thought, you know, I'm going to need to get married. Right. That's it. So you can blame Calvin for my marriage, I suppose. You can blame Calvin for a lot of things, but anyway. Celibacy then uh, uh, is, 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 is you can't do it if, if you're going to be in a continual heat. Remaining celibate is not an option for every disciple. And so to command disciples not to marry, that's condemned in Scripture. And not only is it condemned in Scripture, like you're saying, well, we're going to do this for a higher cause. The end justifies the means. We're going to require our priests not to marry. Not only is that a wrong thing to do in presuming that this gift is given to God in the office, which is it's not, that's extra scriptural. And so you're lording it over somebody's conscience right there. And you have no business doing that. You have no authority doing that in the church. But also, it's a demonic teaching. It, a demon, what do demons, what does what does Satan do? He destroys the creation. And here we get into very intimately what a man or a woman is. They do have a sexual uh, uh, life. Sexuality is, is part of creation. It's not part of the fall. And so when you, when you uh, have a commandment, no marrying of priests and especially bishops, no. That's a demonic teaching. Whatever good results of that is simply by God's goodness and is overriding our sin, which he does continually. But let's honor God and his teaching and, and do it right. It subverts God's creation mandate. It, 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 it cuts off covenant seed, which uh, for the Jew, of course, uh, was a major concern because the seed was to provide the Christ, the Savior of the world. But to us, it's still a part of, it's the main, the main way that the kingdom rolls forth by covenant children. And so to command disciples not to marry is condemned. Um, and there is one exception here already in my notes. One exception is that the guilty party in a divorce, if you uh, are divorced and you are divorced because you're guilty, then you are forbidden. You're forbidden to marry. So you fall into the category of a eunuch. Right, let me say that again. I, I, the exception to this is that the Lord commands you not to marry if you are divorced, being guilty of uh, adultery or fornication. All right. Remaining celibate is not an option for everybody, uh, every disciple. And to unnecessarily delay marriage without the gift of a celibacy is sin. Now, some of you young people here, I know you've been through my premarital counseling, and uh, maybe you've had some, some people in your life saying, no, you're not ready for marriage, you know. I'd like for you to be better established in your profession. Uh, who was it just recently? Uh, some authority. I won't mention his name. I don't want to embarrass any political figures, but he said, you know, my advice to you, young lady, is not to marry until you're 30 years old. That's a very Catholic thing to say, and he was a Catholic man. And I'm picking on Catholics because it's Reformation Week, guys, okay? You know, I, I got one week in the whole year where I can pick on Catholics. And this is it. After that, I, I'm a meanie. So... To unnecessarily delay marriage without the gift of celibacy is sin. So do you love her? Can you provide for yourself and this person? 
I, I mean, is, she, is he a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you members of the church? Do you want to honor God? Do you think you might honor God better if you were a couple in, in his kingdom? Well, go for it. I mean, that's this, this minister is mad about, you know, he's just crazy about marriage. I love to marry people. And to, to for, forbid people to marry on economic terms or some other terms not biblical, you'll always, you'll always get my over. I'll, I'll override that. I will veto that every time with my vote. The fourth point here, three conditions when celibacy is acceptable to God. There's three conditions where uh, celibacy is acceptable to God. The first, and there's, there's two classes. There's the class of uh, non-willful celibacy where oh, it just, okay, this is, this, this, it's, the, it's the hand dealt to me, okay? I got, nothing, I got no choice in this. There are, there's non-willful celibacy. It happens to you. But it's not apart from the will of God because in his providence he governs all things. Okay, so it's still God's will, but it's uh, as concerning you, it's non-willful celibacy. The second point is willful celibacy. All right, let me speak to both. The first one is non-willful celibacy. The first condition under that is an uncorrectable birth defect. Uh, yeah, uh, there are birth defects. Not everyone is even Levites. Not every Levite is born perfect. Um, an uncorrectable birth defect. God has willed it in his providence. Uh, why? I, no one knows this. This is part of his secret degrees. You know, what's, what's revealed in Scripture is for our learning. But the secret things belong to God. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. So we don't know why this is, but uh, that's a... It's, it's an uncorrectable uh, uh, defect. I, I know, I know, I know. Uh, modern medicine likes to boast that we can do anything and we can correct any illness. But a couple of us here are very living proofs that that's not the case. We, we have pains, we have illnesses, and nobody has, any, nobody has any remedies. Okay, and some things are not yet correctable. Sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy uh, is, in marriage, is prescriptive. If you marry, then your body belongs to your spouse. Yeah, the, your body is not your own. Uh, if you've contracted marriage, that's the understanding. You, you've yielded yourself and the rights of your body to your spouse, and, and, and likewise. So if, even, if you're, even if your spouse is the, is the woman, and she says, I, I, Honey, I, I, I have intimacy. I need, I need you tonight. You are to submit to your wife. Not because you are not, because the head should submit to the, to, uh, to the wife, but because you have vowed yourself in this relationship to submit whenever she asks. And to not to do that is a betrayal of your vow and a shame to your headship because you don't know how to lead in the family. Sexual intimacy in a marriage is prescriptive and it should be honored. That's the first condition, uncorrectable birth defect. The second one is, is man-made. Uh, you could be wounded in battle or... You know, our sports are so, are so rough any longer. You could be wounded in sports. It could be an accident. Uh, still, God's providence, all that comes is by the Lord's will. If, if, if it happens, it's happened for some reason, and there's, there's good reasons behind it. All right? Um, another instance would be serving at a court for a, for a king or, or, or a prince. Now, uh, this is interesting because you, it's a consideration for, for kingdom purposes. Not the kingdom of heaven, but for earthly kingdoms. And earthly kingdoms have government for the good. 
and uh, earthly kingdoms need good government and orderly government. Uh, should a disorder break out in anarchy, many lives uh, could be harmed. There could be death. Uh, there could be wars and factions and civil wars. Terrible. It's the, most, it's the bloodiest thing that's ever happened on American soil besides abortion. All right. A political necessity for the sake of chastity in the king's line. Because if, you, if you've got uh, uh, advisors, the king has advisors, he has men that are close to him in court, and he's got a pretty queen, well, you know, what happens? You've seen the movies, right? It's a mess. It's a mess. And so, so, and so for the sake of chastity, uh, we have a political necessity. That could be a condition where celibacy is acceptable to God. I know this strikes at the... <laughs> This is not very American teaching, is it? No, no. It's it, it, we're very alien to this uh, concept of kingdoms of kings. We rebelled against that. There are no kings in America. Uh, still, this teaching has to have a place, a place for us. It is amazing, my friends, <clears throat> where where this chastity did did serve a very godly a very godly purpose in both governments. And I'll mention the example of the Ethiopian eunuch. It should be very much on your, in mind in Acts chapter 8. The Ethiopian eunuch was a, a, a servant or a eunuch, a steward to uh, the, the, the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. And, uh, and he served apparently very, very well, but he, he had an attraction to the faith of the Hebrew people, to, to the living God, Jehovah, and he was visiting, visiting Jerusalem there in the days of, of Pentecost. And Stephen uh, caught up with him in the, in the spirit in the desert. And that eunuch uh, was proselytized. He, he was converted, not to Jewry, but was baptized there by Philip, the evangelist. And he went forth as a eunuch back, back, to, back to the inner sanctum of the Ethiopian court, and there by his witness... Says history, not says not says the, the book of Acts, but it's silent on that. But says history, uh, a, a major revival uh, broke out, and many were converted by the testimony of this eunuch. And so there he becomes a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. You see how this in itself, because of the imperfection and blemish of the incompleteness of being a human in totality. I mean, the the, the whole of human desires being expressed. <laughs> Sadly, it's, it's part of wearing the cross. You're wearing the cross, you're limiting your self-motivations your self, uh, uh, and your self-goals for the sake of another higher goal. And the, Philipp, uh, Philippian, uh, excuse me, the Ethiopian eunuch at the hands of Philip did just that. Both, both governments were benefited. Candace the queen and the kingdom of God uh, under the spirit of Christ. So I, I mentioned this. Uh, the last uh, condition then is a, a man-made condition where celibacy is accepted as if you're a slave. Sometimes you may not have a choice. Uh, I, I, that's a cruel institution. That's a very cruel institution, but anybody that, who fell into that, uh, that cruel institution uh, was not to be rejected by God. And I, I'll have a key, a key portion of Scripture for that later. And the last thing we'll consider today is the three conditions. Uh, again, willful, willful slavery, uh, excuse me, willful celibacy, 
Willful celibacy uh, is acceptable to God with the qualification and the condition that one remain chaste. That's the intention. Celibacy of itself is not the issue. Purity, purity, holiness, being set apart, sanctum, uh, sanctification, that's the heart of the teaching here. Okay, in obeying God. Willful celibacy, always remaining chaste. The third condition is for the sake of the kingdom. We just, we just alluded to that in the Ethiopian eunuch, but it must be somehow related to the goodness of the gospel, the spread of it, the maintenance of it. It must be, um, sometimes, sometimes if marriage has to be delayed because uh, of, of distance, because of economics, because of disease, other considerations, <clears throat> if marriage uh, must be delayed, then you are for a time uh, willfully celibate. If you're not able to marry in the Lord, now I offer this because this is going to be an increasing challenge. I, <clears throat> I do not say that there are very few people in America today that are Christians. Everybody has the name. But if you get below the name and you begin to examine what they know of the faith and uh, also how they express that knowledge and their obedience, you wonder you have to wonder. And you should never marry someone with a question mark on their head whether they're Christian or not. Doesn't matter how pretty she is. Doesn't matter how handsome and how much money he has. Doesn't matter how powerful he is. You are to marry in the Lord. And if he's not a Christian, then, or if you think there's any chance he might be a strong suggestion, I'm not talking about being overly, overly picky here. You can, you know, you're not, you're not going to marry the perfect uh, knight in shining armor. But you want to make sure that he's Christian. And if you're not sure, and if you can't find an acceptable mate, then you stay unmarried. You remain celibate. This is especially uh, the case for the Levites in the Old Testament. They, they were not to marry a divorced person or anyone that was not a virgin. And that's the teaching of the Jews, okay? Um, and it is this third condition about willful celibacy can I remain chaste in this estate? This is what a disciple must discern. This is where you need to wrestle with the Lord. This is where your minister can't help you. This is where prayer and faith and much wisdom is going to guide you. And so also when an unbelieving spouse leaves a believing spouse, then there is a, a, a case for willful celibacy. A believing spouse then is... Free to marry or free to remain as he is? Paul told this, this, the Corinthian uh, believers, look, re regarding this, uh, just let every man remain in the estate in which he was called. Do you free or remain free? Are you bonded, slave? Okay. But especially in marriage, don't seek to be unmarried. But if it happens, fine. And in such a case, you're free to remarry, but in that, in that time frame between your the, the time that you were married and divorced and remarried, if you're, if you're innocent, then you may remarry. And, but for that time, you are under a willful celibacy. Or you may choose to remain free after that, if you are able. But again, back to the, the, the issue of whether you have burning lust. If it becomes a temptation for you, then you better get married. Let me bring this thing to a, a quick summary. A celibacy is an exceptional gift. It's granted by God. 
It's not given to everyone to remain celibate as a means to avoid the difficulties and the risks of attending marriage. Now, let's just pause here and say, you need to consider the gravity of your marriage vows. And every time you go to a wedding, you should remember that your own vows as to before the Lord, and you have to remember what a vow means. Uh, to put it very graphically, a vow is a noose, and you're putting your head in the noose, and you're saying, God, if I'm not faithful, just pull it, because I'm a dead man. You have a right to judge me. I've been unfaithful to my word. I've wrecked things, and I've wrecked my own soul. Consider the gravity of marriage vows to keep them. The second thing is don't confuse celibacy with chastity. And I, I must insist with all the reformers here and with Augustine, a married person is chaste. Yes, you're as chaste as a virgin. Those virgins in the, in the book of Revelation that uh, served God all, they could have been married. Because spiritually speaking, a, a person, a soul who is pure before God is chaste. Is chaste. And you don't confuse the two. A married person is chaste, but is not, or should not normally, ordinarily be celibate. Do not despise the gifts and calling of God. If he situated you providentially in one or the other condition, when you pray thy will be done, this is what it means. All things are, are from God. Whatever comes about is God's. Now you have to react to it in a, in a, in a godly way. And you must bow and bend the knee for what you are. What you are is what God has made you to be. And so you must discern God's will for your life both by his providence and then what to do next by his word and by and the leading of his spirit. Now I want to I want to leave you I want to leave you with a lovely lovely gospel tract here <clears throat> that was given to eunuchs because we've just mentioned you may fall into this category for a time. All right. Isaiah 56. And keep in mind that eunuchs were excluded from temple services as Levites and they because they were a malformation. They were not a perfect humanity. And God is about restoring perfect humanity in his redemption. Again, a eunuch speaks to the, the difficulty of a fallen world. It is not an ideal state. But is there any hope for the eunuchs? Well, we already spoke about the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is where I think Acts chapter 8 really addresses and comes to fulfillment. Um, because in Isaiah 56 and verses 4 and 5, uh, we, we read this. It says, For, the, for thus says the Lord, uh, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Again, it's a, it's a play that the Hebrews love this word play. That's how they remember Scripture. God sets those things up there for us to remember. Look, look at the promises there. Not only will he be able to serve him, but he'll be able to enter the holiest. And not only as a visitor, but permanently. That's to people who keep the will of God, even though they be utterly unqualified by the ceremonial Old Testament. 
And this is the main break we have in going into the New Testament. That's why this teaching is so radical. And we ought not to despise it. We, ought, we, ought, we have to keep the teaching because it is glorious, it serves God's kingdom, and there are people that are ministered by this teaching and its promises. Now, to keep it, you'll need the Spirit. And you receive the Spirit when you believe in the Lord Jesus. He gives you pardon for your sins and everlasting life for those who have been disobedient, who have broken commandments such as these, for expressly, the gospel is, is expressly for adulterers, for fornicators, for the undefiled, for liars, for thieves, for, for all manner of, of, of sinners, which that's what we are. But he, God picks us up. He calls in us in his gospel. We respond by faith. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He, be, he sanctifies us. He justifies us in his name. He accepts us into his house forever. And that's the gospel, my friends. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will do all these things. He will begin to sanctify you in his word so that when you read such an unusual passage like this, you begin to make sense of it. And that's good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for helping us through this passage. I hope we have not overly complicated things in this sermon. But we, we hope that we see the glimmer of your goodness, of your purity, and of your concern for your church, and the great concern, the overarching concern of your kingdom versus our own comforts, of your kingdom versus our own self-actualization. And we pray we would be content with that. We pray that you would receive the glory in all things and not us, that we might leave to you, even if it means taking up our cross and forfeiting our lives. But by all means, Lord, be glorified in us. Give us a heart.